All right, here we go. So we see John's major uh, theme in this book is knowing Christ. And as we walk through this, there are a series of questions that we ask, we kind of four questions and then a fifth uh, bonus question. The first question being, what does this say? In other words, how do we know what this says to its original audience and its original context? At the end of the first century, uh, what is John saying here? Uh, secondly, we kind of take that and we bring it to the 21st century. What does this mean to us? Thirdly, what does this teach us about God himself, about God, about his son, Jesus Christ, about uh, God, the Holy Spirit. Fourth, how do we connect this to our lives? What does this teach us about ourselves? And then a fifth question, and this is actually uh, going to come into play today, is are there any surprises here? What is surprising here if there is anything surprising? Now, John has had a series of four purpose statements. First uh, John 1 verse 4, we looked at last week where he said, I write these things so that your joy might be full. Then in John 2.1, he says, I write this so that you may not sin. In 2.26, he says he writes this so that we won't be deceived by false teachers. And then John 5.13, 1 John 5.13, he says, I write these so that you may know that you have eternal life. And what we see here is that this last statement governs all of the others. John is writing so that we might know that we have eternal life. In other words, John is writing to answer the question, how do we know that we know Christ? Not how do we come to know Christ. We come to know Christ by placing our faith in his finished work, his perfectly lived life, his death on the cross, his burial, his resurrection. We place our faith in that, turn from our sin, and that's how God saves us. But John is asking a second question, and that is, how do we know if this has happened? And what he does really over and over again in his book is he walks through a series of tests, these three tests. And these three tests are, one, and I know we've got teens right out there right now who can, who can just list these off the top of their head. One is the truth test. In other words, do you believe the truth about Jesus? Do you believe the gospel as it's presented in God's word? That's the truth test. The second is the life test. In other words, does your life show that you know Jesus? Do you live in a way that shows that you know Jesus? And the third is the love test. Do you love the family of God? Now, we know in God's word, and even we referenced this in our uh, time in Deuteronomy 6 earlier, that we're to love everyone, to love our neighbor as ourselves. But John in particular here gets at the idea that we are to love the family of God. So the thing he hits here is, do you love the brothers and sisters in Christ? And if you remember, John was writing and dealing with a particular kind of teaching called Gnosticism. Gnosticism teaches that Christ isn't enough. God's word isn't enough. You need some sort of higher level of knowledge, and only by getting this knowledge can you know that you know Christ. As we walk through this, this uh, paragraph today, you can see here right at the bottom of the screen, the structure. And we've got these uh, five verses that we're going to work through. And first, he gives us a theme statement that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And then he gives us a series, and he does this. John, uh, he has kind of a, a way of working through things where he almost repeats himself quite a bit. He gives a false claim or kind of a hypothetical statement. You might say this, and then he answers that, and then he does that again, verses 6, 7, 8, and 9. So the theme statement in verse 5, a false claim in verse 6, then he answers that in verse 7, then another false claim in verse 8, and then he answers that in verse 9. So it's with this structure in mind that we're going to go ahead and walk through this. And I'm going to go ahead and uh, stop sharing this screen. Hopefully you had time to get it. And if not, hopefully you will survive. I can, uh, I guess, send it out another way as well. So John's got three tests. Do you believe the truth about Jesus? Do you live in a way that shows that you know Jesus? Do you love the family of Jesus? 
We've got this basic structure, these five basic parts, and we're going to start here in verse 5. He says, this is the message that we've heard and proclaim, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now, this is a little bit different because up to this point, John has kind of hinted that he's got something to say, but he hasn't said it yet. In other words, he said, that which we've seen and heard, we proclaim to you. What we've heard from the beginning, we proclaim to you. But he hasn't come out and said what it is that he's proclaiming, and this is the first time that he does that. It's, it's really the core of this paragraph that he's going to build on for the rest of this time. And so what is John's message? His message is that God is light, and in God there's no darkness. Now, if you think about uh, darkness and light, this is really how they work. In other words, if you're in a dark place and you turn on a light, light and dark can't mix. They're not, they're not like, I don't know, uh, mortar and water. They're not like flour, baking soda, and sugar. They, they're, they're not things that can, that can mix together. You have light or you have dark. And what John is saying is that God's character is light. In other words, there's no part of him that's darkness. Now, up to this point... John has been focusing on the idea that Jesus can be seen, can be touched, can be heard. But now he teaches us something about God himself. So in John 4, Jesus has a beautiful statement about God's character. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And now he teaches here that God is light. Now, do we see anywhere in scripture God's character as light? Well, if you think as you track through the word of God, we see this over and over again. In the Psalms, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Or even if you think about uh, Moses himself, Moses goes up to Mount Sinai. He meets the Lord there. When Moses comes down from the mountain, what is Moses' character? How has his character changed? His face is glowing so brightly that no one can look at him because God's character is so bright, so light, that it completely uh, uh, c consumes Moses to the point where other people can't even look at Moses. God is so light. So when God, when, when John describes God as light, what's he saying? Well, he's saying that God is truth, that God is purity, that, that God brings fellowship. And so light has no fellowship with darkness. Now we see this also, Paul teaches about this in 1 Corinthians, that, that, that light can't have fellowship with darkness. And so if this is true, if, if God is light, and in God there is no darkness, what does this mean for us? Well, now he's going to walk through and he's going to tease this out in very specific ways. And so in verse 6, he gets the first false claim. If we say we have fellowship with him. So the way that he's going to do this, he's going to structure this particular claim this way. There's going to be a claim, and there's going to be the reality, and then there's a conclusion. The claim, the reality, and the conclusion. So what's the person claiming? The person is claiming, I have fellowship with God. So this is someone who claims to have a personal relationship with God through faith in Christ, and yet there's a different reality to their life. So they claim to know God, and yet what's the reality? They walk in darkness. So if you're someone who claims to have fellowship with God, but meanwhile you habitually walk in darkness, what does this mean? Well, the conclusion then he says, is that we're lying. We lie and we don't practice the truth. So if, if we live in a way that puts a lie to what we say, what, what, what he's getting at here is actually something we've seen over and over and again in Matthew, and that's the idea that Christians shouldn't be hypocrites. We ought to talk like Christians and walk or live like Christians. So 
fellowship is having something in common with. And what we're claiming is we say we have fellowship, we have life, character, light in common with God, but we live in a way that is characteristic of darkness. Darkness is walking out of step with God, walking out of step with God's character, not living according to the truth of God's word. That you could say it's just walking in sin. So how is it then that John says, if we walk in darkness, we have no fellowship with God? He's saying God has nothing to do with darkness. There's no part of God's character that is dark. And so if we walk in darkness, we don't have life in common in fellowship with God. So what kind of people is John calling out here? He's calling out hypocrites. And as we'll see in a minute, he's really calling out everyone. But he's calling out particularly people who, who, who live in a way that, that demonstrates that what they say isn't true. So let's go on. So he, he, there's this false claim in verse 6 that I can walk with, I, I can know God and live as if I really don't know God. Verse 7, he answers this. But if we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, there's a first surprise here. And we remember the fifth question, the bonus question is, are there any surprises? What's the surprise here? Well, verse 6, who is he talking about have, having fellowship with? He's talking about having fellowship with God. Well, here in verse 7, he switches, and now who does he talk about having fellowship? He says, we have fellowship with one another. He's switching targets. He's talking about knowing God, and now he's talking about knowing, having in common with each other. So why do you think he's switching? Is he just kind of like losing his mind and forgetting what he's talking about? No, he's teaching us something important, and that is this, that the two are linked. In other words, our fellowship with God is linked with our fellowship with one another. If we fellowship with God, that's how we fellowship with each other. So what does this verse teach us about ourselves? It teaches us that true fellowship with God and true community with the family of God comes from walking in light and truth. So there's this, if we walk in the light, what happens is we have fellowship with each other and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, this teaches us that as God the Father is light, Jesus himself is light. So we might say that light, walking in the light, is fellowship with God marked by the absence of sin or living in a way that isn't habitually characterized by sin. So how do we have fellowship with God? Through faith in Christ and walking with God. How do we have fellowship with each other? Faith in Christ, walking with God. That's how we walk with one another. So let's get to the second claim in verse 8. But if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So now here's something that, I mean, John is, he's getting a little bit tricky here. Because first of all, he's saying, if you walk in sin, you don't know God. But on the other hand, if you say you don't sin, you also don't know God. And it kind of seems like, John, what in the world? You got us, you got us in this trap here. There's this, there's this tension. And, and so what? If we sin, we don't know God. And if we say we don't sin, then we really don't know God. So what in the world do we do here? Well, he's going to structure this very similarly to what he did in verse 6. So there's a claim. We say we have no sin. But there's the reality. We are self-deceived. Now, there are all kinds of deceptions in the world, but there are a few things worse or sadder than self-deception. And John here is referencing the idea of self-deception. To say that we're not sinners denies that we need a Savior. So we can't know God if we can't admit that we're sinners, because to know God, we have to admit that we're sinners, because we can't know Christ apart from admitting that we are sinners. So there's this claim, we have no sin. There's the reality, we're self-deceived. And then the conclusion is, 
God's truth is not in us. Now, up to this point, there hasn't been a clear discussion of the cross, the atonement, the gospel. And so it's like at this point, it kind of feels like it all rests on us. So what does this teach us? This teaches us that there must be something more, that we can't claim to be perfect because that's self-deception. But at the same time, God takes our sin really seriously. If we walk in sin, then we also don't know God. So what's, what is the theme that John is hitting at here? He's hitting at the idea of truth, reality versus hypocrisy. So one thing that's evident from this, and this is actually a comfort to me, is that we all sin. We all still sin. So he's not getting at the idea of perfection. It, it, perfection is required because if he says, if you deny that you have sinned, then you don't walk in truth. So what then does it mean to walk in the light? So you can see the problem here, right? If we say we don't sin, we're lying. Thus, we're sinning. Therefore, we have no fellowship with God. But if we sin, we have no fellowship with God, which tells us what? That we can't look for the answer here. We can't look for the answer in our works, in our efforts, in what we do. In other words, there must be some bigger, greater, better answer than me being good enough to have fellowship with God. There must be some other way that God provides us. So how then is it that God provides this? Verse 9, if we confess our sins. So here, it's not just a matter of sinning or not sinning. It's a matter, one, of admitting that you're sinning, and secondly, confessing. If we confess our sins, John says, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He uses two words here, to forgive and to cleanse. And these words are related, but they're different. To forgive our sin means to, uh, to cancel our debt. In other words, or, or to, uh, or to uh, dismiss the charges against us. In other words, it's like we're standing in a courtroom. We'll just use something simple. Speeding ticket. You're guilty. You were going 75 and a 35. The judge could throw the book at you, but he says instead, I dismiss all charges against you. You don't have to pay the fine. That's forgiveness. It's, it's, it's a removal of a debt. It's, it's a dismissing of charges. It's a courtroom context. To cleanse is, is a relational context. It's to remove pollution. It's like, uh, you know, I don't know, a lot of people are getting, it got real warm the end of this week. People are jumping in their pools. They're treating their pools. What they're trying to do is they're removing the pollution from their swimming pools. That's cleansing. It's removing pollution. It's scrubbing clean. It's walking in and seeing a filthy toilet and scrubbing it clean. So when we confess our sins, God removes our charges, and then he also scrubs us clean. But there's something surprising here. What's surprising? It says that God forgives us because he is just. Now, you would think it would say God forgives us because he's merciful. God forgives us because he's gracious. God forgives us because he's loving. How does it work for God to be just and forgive our sin? It tells us that for God to be just and forgive our sin, he must punish our sin. Because a just God can't just pretend sin didn't happen. A just judge can't just pretend it doesn't happen. He must pronounce justice. How can God forgive because he's just? 
God has already punished our sin in Christ. So for anyone who places their faith in Christ, God justly forgives. He doesn't forget about it as in he doesn't know what happens. He removes it from us for the sake of his son, Christ. If God has already punished those sins in Christ, he cannot justly punish them in us. So this verse teaches us that God forgives sin for not for our sake because we're good or have earned God's forgiveness, but for the sake of his son, Jesus. So we sit here or stand here today and we are forgiven. It's not just that God is soft-hearted or forgetful. God forgives sins, he says here, because he is faithful and just. God's faithfulness is in providing his son, Jesus, as the sacrifice. His justice is in punishing Jesus in our place. And if he's punished Jesus in our place, he cannot punish us for those same sins. That's where God's justice comes to bear. So often we think of forgiveness as God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, God's gentleness, God's kindness, God's compassion. And it is these things. But John says, in addition to this, the reason that God forgives is because he is a just God. God will not forget. God cannot overlook, but he has judged our sin in Christ. So remarkably, even God's justice is a forgiving justice. Now, this is crazy. Because to link God's justice to God's forgiveness isn't something that we would ever, just humanly speaking, do. But what we see is that God is a covenant-keeping God. He, he, he can't count our sin against us because he's counted it against Jesus Christ. And if he then counted it against us, he wouldn't be faithful to his own promises. God is a God who forgives. God is a God who cleanses for the sake of his son, Jesus. So let's follow this. We can't deny that we've sinned. We've all sinned. Because of our sin, we can't have fellowship with God. But if we confess our sins, we find forgiveness and cleansing through Christ, and then we also have fellowship with God. So ironically, the way to cleansing, the way to forgiveness, is admitting how bad we are. Admitting how much we need God to intervene. We confess our sins, and then we turn to Jesus for cleansing and forgiveness. So John has walked through and he said, we can claim that we have no sin, but if we do that, we're self-deceived. But if we admit that we have sin and we trust God, God will faithfully and justly forgive our sin for the sake of his son, Jesus. And then before we close this, just briefly, Confessing our sin to God, turning to Christ, also then gives us relationships with each other. Turning to Christ gives us fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. So one reason that God's people should enjoy getting together more than any other party in the world is because of what Christ has done for us. He's given us fellowship with God and fellowship with with one another. All of this is ours through the blood and for the sake of Jesus Christ.